Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. So we're going to go ahead and move into our message now. So we're in a series right now called Heroes and Villains. It's been a lot of fun uh, just, to, just to watch and to be a part of. Um, I love doing this series every year because it gives us an opportunity to see the different heroes in our faith, but also the people um, that teach us what not to do, you know, kind of like that show, What Not to Wear. It's a really great show if you're trying to figure out what's cool these days, you know, they'll help you out there. But in the same way, we've been talking about the things that we shouldn't do, the things that we should. So we've talked so far about the serpent back in the Garden of Eden and how, um, although that story was at the beginning of time, you know, he's the enemy, the devil, he's still among us. He's still trying to lie to us, trying to, to tell us that we're not enough, to, 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 to deceive us. So um, really we just need to cling to the, the, uh, what God has sh- spoken over us, the forgiveness that he has for us, and, and just shut that down. And then second week we talked about Hannah, an amazing story where she believed in faith that God would give her a child because she was unable to have children. And, and God blessed her with one, and, and, and when he did that, she actually... Um, literally just gave her child back to God by, by having him stay in the temple when he grew up uh, under the ministry of the, the priest that was in that temple. And then last week we talked about Jonah. Jonah was an interesting one because, you know, you don't really think of him as, as a villain, so to speak, because he was a prophet. But, uh, but we talked about how he actually ran away from God and the things that he had called him to do because he had so much hatred for this city uh, called Nineveh. He, he wanted them to burn he wanted them to all perish. God told him that if he, he preached the gospel to them and showed them the love that God had for them, even though they were a very wicked city, that God would redeem them if they turned their hearts to him. And that's what happened. Um, but really the point was that we must show love and grace just as God does to everybody, uh, no matter where they're at, no matter how we feel about them and our own emotions, but, but that God's grace is sufficient for everyone. And today we're going to cap it all off with uh, speaking about Mordecai. So Mordecai, um, as I was reading throughout Esther, he, is the, uh, he was an uncle of Esther, but at the same time, he was also her guardian. So, um, you know, I think a lot of us know a little bit about, you know, the story of Esther and what she did. Basically, Esther was, um, she was a Jewish girl who, who grew up in the era of the Persian Empire. And, uh, you know, she basically saved the Jews, the Jewish people, because they actually... Um, we'll talk about it, but basically they had, they were in a place where, uh, there was something where they were going to be wiped out, but, um, she did what she had to do, but Mordecai was her uncle and he had, he played a a, a huge role throughout this whole story of Esther. Um, but today we're really going to talk about how, how he honored people. So as I was reading throughout, it just stuck out to me that he showed honor to so many people throughout this story. He showed honor to, to the king of Persia. He showed honor to Esther, who was basically his daughter, uh, his adopted daughter. He showed honor to God. So that's what we're going to talk about primarily today is honor and how it's important for us to show honor in our lives. Um, so I just wanted to see, let's just picture, you know, someone in our lives right now that, that we feel like we can honor. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's uh, some of your siblings or, or maybe it's someone that you, you're really good friends with, whoever it might be. But let's just picture for a moment like that one person that we feel like we can show honor to. If you think about them, how does that look for you? Like, how can you honor 
someone who is important to you, someone that has done something maybe for you, someone who has, who has raised you, someone who has spoken into your life. But I feel like when I honor someone, I want to, you know, I want to protect them. I want to make sure that um, I encourage them, speak words of encouragement over them. I, I feel like I can trust them with anything that I have. Um, give them the key to my house and I'd be okay with it. You know, I can, I can let them drive my car and even though it's not the nicest car in the world, I'd be okay with it if they drove it around, you know. But uh, basically the thought is that everything that I have, I would be okay with them taking that over. I would be okay with them um, controlling that for me if I needed that to happen. So when we're honoring people, it's important to know. It's basically saying everything that I have, I trust you with it too. So that's kind of the idea as we speak of honor throughout today. As, as I, I'm going to be talking about it a lot. So as I say that word, that honor, that that's kind of how we're looking at it today. But to give you some context here in this time, uh, this time period of the world, this is the Persian Empire basically is this huge, just massive uh, empire throughout the world. It's probably one of, the, um, one of the largest empires of the world at this time. It actually covered three million square miles, so it actually spanned three different continents. So it was all the way over in Europe, and then it touched into Africa a little bit, and then all the way over into Asia. So it's just this giant empire of a bunch of different little um, little ethnicities, a bunch of different na- nations and stuff. They're all comprised of this empire. Basically, they went around and they they just oppressed these different places. So in this in this time period, the Jewish people they were called God's people. They they were part of this empire, and they were, you know, they were oppressed by this um, this Persian king, these people. And it wasn't necessarily that they were being, um, like, persecuted all the time and stuff, but basically they were being ruled over a nation that wasn't theirs. So that's kind of where we're at here. And to give you a little bit of context here and some backstory uh, in, th- in this book of Esther, the king, his name is Ahasuerus. So we're just going to call him, we'll just call him uh, Xerxes, because that was another name for him. It's a little easier for me to say. Um, So he's named Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes. And where we're opening up here, so basically Xerxes is like, I have this amazing empire. This is the best place in the world. Everyone wants to be part of this. So what I'm going to do is I want everyone to know how great I am. I want everyone to know that I am the greatest king of the world right now. And I'm just going to have this giant party for 180 days, we're going to drink the best wine, we're going to eat the best food, we're going to have the best music, best entertainment, everything will be the best. We're going to have this for 180 days. I'm th- as I heard this, I was like, man, that's how long my school year was when I was a kid. If I could just party for an entire school year, that'd be cool with me. That's, that's all I ever wanted. But So this is what's going on, is for 180 days that they're just going to have this incredible party all over the place. And as this is happening... Xerxes is like, he, he, he loves his, his queen, his wife, and, you know, she's a beautiful woman, and he's like, I'm going to have her dance for everybody, and like, I want everyone to know how beautiful she is. So he calls her out, and he's like, hey, Vashti, come on out. I want you to dance to these people so that they can all see that you're beautiful, and she was like, uh, no, thank you. So basically, I mean, I feel like I'd say the same thing, right? It's like, hey, come on out and dance to these people. First of all, I can't dance. Second of all, that's real weird. So... This is what he wants, but she refuses to do so. So he gets really angry because he's probably embarrassed. And uh, basically, after a series of events, he kicks her out of the nation. He kicks her out and banishes her to some other place. Um, So he needs a new queen. So when this happens, 
Mordecai, he's like, hey, Esther, you should, you know, be part of this little beauty contest because the king is like, all right, I want all the most beautiful girls in the world, all the most beautiful girls in this nation. I'm going to pick one, and then you can be my queen. So it's kind of shallow, but that's how it worked back then, I guess. So Esther, she was like, okay, let's do this. And uh, the Bible says that Esther received favor with every person that she came into contact with. So the king, he saw her. He's like, wow, she's beautiful. Everyone who, who she talked to previous to that, this was like a several-year process of picking a, a queen. Basically, they went through, like, beauty treatments. They ate the best food. They made sure that their skin was good, you know, all these different things just to make sure that they looked good enough for this king. Um, but that's where we're going to open up here today. That's where we're going to start out just reading some scripture. But this is where we're at. So Esther, the Bible says she received favor with everyone. And uh, basically, she's on, like, her callback where she was like, okay, I got through the first round. King thinks I'm pretty. So here's the second round here. And this is where we'll open up. So this is Esther chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. It says, When the virgins were gathered a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. See, Esther had not revealed her family background or her ethnicity, as Mordecai had directed. She obeyed Mordecai's orders, as she always had while he raised her. During those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, were guarded who guarded the entrance, became infuriated and planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. When Mordecai learned of the plot, he reported it to Queen Esther, and she told the king on Mordecai's behalf. When the report was investigated and verified, both men were hanged on the gallows, and this event was recorded in the historical record in the king's presence. So as I read through this, I thought it was interesting because... As I said before, this isn't like a Jewish nation. This is the nation of Persia who has basically, you know, overcome the nation of, of Israel and the Jewish people. But even still, even though this king is a foreign king to them, I thought it was really interesting because Mordecai, you know, if he heard that, he he naturally may have been like, oh, well, I don't really care about this king. Like, he's not, he's not, hashtag, he's not my king, you know. It's like he probably was like, I don't really mind if they assassinate this dude because he's not, He's not my king. But I thought it was so interesting because he honored this king to the point where he told them. He heard this assassination plot, and, and he thought to himself, you know, this is the king that is over me, so I, I want to honor him, and I want to know that, that he will be okay. So he, he actually reports this. And I thought that's so interesting in our culture right now. So interesting that he honored an authority that he may not have liked too much because for me personally, in my life, whenever I have a boss that I don't like, or, or maybe I'm, I don't agree with all the, the politics that go down, or I don't agree with, with presidents that have been around in my day, you know. I think that it's still incredibly important to, to follow this, this pattern that, that Mordecai shows us, where he honors those who are in authority over him. And this is such a struggle, I think, especially for our culture, because it's so easy to just hit up Facebook and be like, wow, I can't believe this thing just passed. Like, are you kidding me? I can't believe that we're building this wall, or whatever it is, you know. Um, and I think that it's just so h difficult these days just to honor the people that are in authority over us. Because, you know, if they do something we don't like, we feel like we might have, you know, we might be able to be like, all right, well, I don't like that, so I don't agree with him, and I don't like that guy. I'm not going to honor him because I don't, I don't need to do that. But I think that God calls us to something that is greater. He calls us to a higher standard. And I believe that whenever we do honor those who are in authority over us, that God can bless that, that God can use that. And that when people begin to see that we honor those, even if we don't necessarily agree with every single thing, I think that God will bless that. 
So I think it's powerful that Mordecai actually went to the point where he, he honored this king. And, and we see even throughout this story, as Mordecai continues to honor people, you begin to see God's favor begin to pour out over his life. You begin to see his favor pour out over Mordecai and, and over Esther. Um, so then as you move on, there's a little bit of um, some time in between there. But we learn there's this man named Haman, and he's basically the king's right-hand man. And Haman, this dude is like, he's like the most arrogant man you could ever meet. Like the guy, he's, he, he, th- he talks how great he is. He talks about what he, you know, he's accomplished. He's like, the king loves me. He thinks I'm the man. Um, so this is, who, this is who Haman is, basically. You see this all throughout. And as Haman walks through the city, as he's riding his horse, he has his majestic posse all around him. Basically, what is expected is that everyone will bow to this guy. And Mordecai, being a Jewish man, he knows, like, I'm not going to bow to anyone but, but God. So he never does. And this infuriates Haman to the point where he wants him to die. Like, literally, he's like, this, this guy needs to go. I can't handle this anymore. If he's not going to bow to me, if he's not going to respect me, then I want him to go. But so Mordecai... He's, he still never does. But he gets really angry with Mordecai because he doesn't bow. He, he, he ends up telling the king, basically like deceiving him and saying, hey, Mordecai and this Jewish uh, population, like they won't bow to you. They don't, they don't listen to your rules. They just listen to whatever, whatever the Bible says. Like they don't listen to you, and I think this is the bad thing. So I think you should kill them. And the king's like, all right. So he, he issues this decree. And uh, so then basically it's saying that all the Jews – are going to be killed because they don't follow the laws of the king. Now we see how Mordecai honors God in this moment because um, when he hears this, basically he just humbles himself. He puts on sackcloth and ashes and he begins to fast. And as we spoke last week, whenever, um, basically it's a weird concept, but whenever the uh, the Jews would put on sackcloth and ashes. It's basically showing an outward representation of how they feel inside because, like, who wants to wear a burlap sack, right? Like, that's, I would go absolutely crazy before I put that on because it's real itchy, you know, but basically they're just saying, like, this is how I feel inside, and they're just weeping and crying out to God and fasting. And um, he knew that he needed to do something. He knew that that there was something that needed to be done to save the Jewish people. And I think, um, just again, as a little bit of a side note, instead of, you know, rioting and building up this militia and storming the gates and going in and saying, you're not going to kill us, we're going to fight against you, what he decides to do is just simply go before God. He begins to pray and seek God and ask him for wisdom to know exactly what to do. Um, and I think that's a lesson that, that I can learn. I think that's a lesson that we can all learn. It's just whenever things are going wrong, before we do anything else, just go and pursue God and ask him for some wisdom for us. Um, but I love Mordecai's boldness in this moment because, you know, he decides he's going to tell Esther about this. He's going to say, hey, um, something needs to be done about this because we're all about to die. So as he approaches her, we, we read in Esther chapter 4. It's verse 13 and 14. It says this, that Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther. Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. 
Who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. As I was reading that, I realized something that Mordecai, he has such honor for God. He has such reverence for who God is. He believes in s- with such faith that God will deliver the Jewish people in some way or another. So he knows he has to do something. He talks to Esther, but he says to her this. He says, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place if you keep silent. So what he's basically saying is that, you know, I'm going to do everything that I can for God. I'm going to do everything that I can to save this this Jewish population. But if what I do isn't going to work or, or, or if my plan doesn't work, then I know with a sh- beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that God will deliver the Jewish people in another way. Like what faith, you know? How can... How can he be in a place where he's mourning? He, he just finds out that all of the Jewish people, all of his friends, all of his family, you know, everyone will be wiped out because of this decree. But instead of, of, of just accepting that, instead of being like, all right, well, I guess my life's over. I guess the Jewish people are, we're just done now. He believes in faith because he knows who God is. He knows that God will deliver them in one way or another. So he's going to do everything that he can to make that happen. But he says that if, if you do not, if you, if you keep silent, then I know that God will still deliver the Jewish people in some way. I may never see it, but I know. I'm speaking in faith that it'll happen. So Mordecai, he knew what needed to be done. He knew that God had placed this on his heart. And, and, and I think as I read that, as, as I was reading through that passage, I, it challenged me a lot because there have been times in my life where I know that I haven't done what God has called me to do. I've been in seasons where I've known, you know, God said this thing, but I was like, eh, that sounds kind of tough. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I'm comfortable with. I'm going to do what I'm able to do, you know. But I think that the enemy tries to take moments like that, at least for myself, and I, I feel like for others here today, that whenever we don't follow exactly what we know God has called us to do, we think, all right, well, I screwed it up. Like, there's no more hope for that. There's no more hope for God to to use my life in, a, in an amazing way. There's no more hope for God to use me in a powerful way to, to change people or to change the world. But I believe that as Mordecai said this, that God will deliver the Jews in another way. And in the same way, God can use you, God can use myself, even though we might not do every single thing that God has called us to do perfectly. I know that God will use us still. He can still redeem the things that we have done wrong. He can still redeem our faults, and he can still come in and fill in the gaps. And he can use our lives powerfully. He can use us mightily to, to carry out his will. So I believe that we are never too far gone. No matter how far or no matter how long that we have been running or, or not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit or not following what we feel or believe that God has told us to do, there's never a point where it's too much. There's never a point where it's too far because God can still come in. He can still redeem that and he can still use each one of us mightily. Um, and then as we move on here in this story, we see how Mordecai actually honors Esther. He honors his, his adopted daughter. Um, so in Esther chapter 4, verse 15, we read that, we read, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. She said, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Because at this point, Mordecai basically says, hey, you need to go and speak to the king. You need to go and talk to him, um, even though it was against the law. But he, 
she asks for all of them to fast for her. She says, don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. And after that, I will go to the king, even, it's a, even if it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything that Esther had commanded him. When I see this, I feel like this is probably the, one of the most difficult ways, one of, one of the most difficult people for him to honor, because I don't know if you've heard the term powdered butt syndrome. But basically, if you've powdered your baby's butt, you're probably not going to listen to them about the most important things in life. You know, you're probably not going to listen to your kid say, like, hey, I need you to go do this. Or this point where, where he's basically, like, altering um, potentially the, the future of this nation of the Jews. But she speaks to him and says, hey, Basically, she's saying, hey, Dad, go and do this. And he's saying, all right, I will do this. I will listen to you because I believe that this is something that God has spoken to you. Um, so basically what happens is they go and they fast, they pray. And I think that uh, sometimes it's difficult to differentiate. Whenever we fast and we pray, we're thinking, you know, I'm fasting so that this happens. Or I'm going to pray so that this happens. And and yeah, our prayers and our fasting, these things are powerful. These things um, change things in the spiritual world. You know, God honors that. But the most important thing to note here is it's not about the fast that they did necessarily. It's not about them, you know, not eating or drinking for, for a handful of time. And it's not about necessarily them just praying and then something happened. It's about the heart that they had to do that. It's about the humility that they came before God and, and, and believed in faith that God would change things. They believed in faith that God would alter this, uh, this decree that took place here. Um, so sometimes I get caught up in that. You know, I'm like, if I didn't pray enough, then God probably won't do it. Like if I'm, if I'm believing for, um, you know, in my life, if I'm like believing for a new job or, or believing for, you know, a house or whatever it might be, a lot of times I get caught up in this this mindset, like, if I didn't pray this morning, then then I probably didn't get it. Or, like, if something goes wrong, it's like, oh, man, well, I guess I forgot to pray, so God's not going to do it. But that's not really how it is. See, God knows your heart. God wants to use, um, he wants to honor you. He wants to bless the, the heart that you have to give to him. So, yes, praying and fasting, these things are great. These things are things that challenge us and and show God that we are believing in faith, that he can do that. But it's not only about that. It's about how we feel inside. It's about the heart that we have and, and how we want to honor God. And, and that's whenever we believe in faith, that's whenever things begin to happen. Um, so as we continue, Esther comes up with this plan. And she says, basically, I'm going to have this banquet. I'm going to invite Haman. I'm going to invite the king. Just the two of them. I'm going to make this awesome food. It's going to be a good time. And I'm going to talk to them about this plan that Haman came up with. So she's really nervous about it because at this time, you know, you can't just go and talk to the king because maybe he's busy. But you have to, like, set up appointments. And if he doesn't want to talk to you, basically he can just be like, okay, now you're going to die. Kind of weird. But basically uh, she was nervous about it, so she had to go in and talk to the king. And, 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 and he says yes. Like, as we read earlier, um, God put favor on Esther in such a way where everyone she came into contact with, um, they, they, or she had favor with them. So she, uh, she invites them to, to uh, dinner, and um, basically she ends up saying that um, Haman is the one who is responsible for killing her people. And the king is like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, how are you going to kill 
my queen's people. But what happens is uh, Haman didn't even realize that she was Jewish. And as this happens, um, uh, he begins to get really frustrated, really angry. Um, but even later on, we see that uh, the king is distressed one night, and he can't, um, he can't sleep. So he's like, hey, come in. I want you to read the reports of all the things that have happened just because I want to see what's going on. I want to make sure I'm doing things right. And as they're reading, they read five years earlier that Mordecai actually uh, saved the king's life by whenever he, whenever he told them that there was an assassination plot. And this is, this is like five years later. And I think that for me, this is really interesting because Mordecai did this, this thing for the king. He honored the king, but nothing took place until five years later. And I think that in our culture where we can literally do things in like a second, like I can unlock my phone in a half a second. I can, I can call my wife in, in a couple seconds. You know, I can do everything really, really quickly. And we're so used to things happening right away. We're so used to our prayers being answered. Like, we want things now. We want everything to happen now. We don't want to wait. We want to know everything. We want to update ourselves as soon as we have even a little teeny tiny update. That's just how we live here, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's a difficult thing to, to deal with whenever we're in a season of waiting. It's difficult to deal with whenever we can't see what's going to happen next. But whenever we just believe in faith that God knows, that God is sovereign, that he knows what's going to happen, that, he, that we know that he's going to use our lives mightily, that we know that he has a plan and a purpose for us, then I think that's whenever uh, we can begin to, to see and, and change things the, the way that we think, the way that we, um, that we want things like immediately, you know. We can just believe in faith. So here we go, five years later, uh, the king sees this, and he's like, oh my gosh, this dude saved my life. Did we ever do anything for him? And they're like, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, we didn't really acknowledge him at all. So he's like, well, we need to do something. So then he, he calls in Haman, who already hates Mordecai, right? He calls him in, and he's like, hey, so I want to do this thing for this guy. He doesn't say his name. Mordecai's like, oh, he's probably talking about me. But he's like, I want to do this thing. I want to honor him. What would you do to honor someone the most, like the best way that you can? And basically he's like, all right, well, I mean, thinking to myself what I want, because obviously this is about me because I'm the man. And uh, he says, all right, well, I think that you should give him a robe that you've worn. Maybe ride him around on a horse that is yours, like the coolest horse that you have. Um, Have people just chant his name and honor him, celebrate him all around the city. Shout what he has done for you. Talk about how great he is. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. So he's like, so who are you talking about, king? And then he's like, all right, well, yeah, do all those things that you just said for Mordecai. And he's like, hold up, what are, you, are you kidding me? So basically what happens is the king's, all these things are happening. So Mordecai gets on this horse. He gets in these royal robes. He's walking around the city. And literally Haman is the one who's like dragging this horse around like, go Mordecai. You're the best. You saved the king. And like ha- making the entire nation worship essentially Mordecai. And I think that I think that's hilarious, quite honestly. Because Haman, you know, he's he he just wants all these things to happen to him, but this the flip the script is completely flipped. Um so obviously, you know, this makes more or uh, this makes Haman pretty angry again. And at this point, um you know, Haman is the one who's parading Mordecai all around the city. And I think that it's so interesting because we see this very distinct picture of a man who is seeking honor for himself. 
in Haman. And we see a man who is seeking to honor everyone else. So he, he honors Esther. You know, he honors God. He honors the king. He honors those who are around him. He honors his people. And we see the one who is so humble, Mordecai, the man who is honoring others. He's the one who ends up being lifted up. He's the one who ends up being uh, honored and praised by the entire nation. And I think that, as, as I think about it, I feel like Mordecai honestly would have probably just been like, this is really weird. Like, I don't really, like, like when I'm being honored like that, like, if I'm standing in front of people and they're talking about how great I am, I'm like, I, I'm not that great. I mean, like, my, I don't know. I, I, I haven't done that many good things. You know, it's like when people are talking about how good you are, it's just a weird thing. I feel like that's how Mordecai is. Um, but I think that the lesson that we can learn is that whenever we seek honor for ourselves, so often that we will fall, you know. Proverbs says that, that whenever we honor ourselves, you know, you will, that we will fall, but whenever you have humility that, that you will be lifted up, you will be honored. And I think that's so important. That's something that we see very explicitly right here. Um, so I just wanted to share a brief story about a friend of mine who who really showed this in such a such a great way. See, whenever he was even in middle school, like he was just this little guy who um, he just wanted to learn. He wanted to serve people. He he grew up in church with me, and basically everything that he did, he just wanted to to show honor to people. He wanted to show honor to the pastors that he was underneath. He wanted to show that he was just he was just serving them. He would do anything for them, whatever they asked. He was like, "All right, I got you. I'll do this." Literally did this throughout his entire life. One of my closest friends, so I got to witness it very closely. And from the time of whenever he was young, even now, I have seen his life just so much favor on it. God has placed his hand so mightily on his life. So he, can't, he, he went from serving and just like doing whatever was necessary, cleaning up, like wrapping some wires for music or, or whatever it was. Like he would do anything. And now I see him and he literally oversees an entire uh, media department at one of the largest churches in this area because not because he he got to that point because of his own merit not because you know yeah he he knows what he's doing he's like really wise he's really smart with all these things but i believe that god placed his hand over his life because of his humble heart because he was humble because he honored other people because he he did everything he could uh, for others and i believe that that plays a large role in why he is able to basically do the same. And now, as he leads all these other people, it's not like he's made it, you know? It's not like he's at this point where he's like, I don't have to honor people anymore. Because what he does is he honors those who he oversees now. And I think that's so beautiful. Because whenever you get to this point where, where you begin to rise up on the, on the ladder that we call, uh, whatever, you, whatever you call it, but as you begin to, you know, rise up the ladder and, and have people underneath us, as we, the change of heart you know, it's not any different. It's the same. You know, we still honor those even though they might be less than us in, in terms of, um, you know, how our culture views it. But you be continue to honor those even if they are um, at a lower position than you. So I believe today that God is really just speaking that everything that we do, we just need to do it as unto the Lord. We need to honor God in all that we do. Just as Mordecai did. He he honored God. He honored those around him. Um, but I felt like also as I was preparing this that God spoke to me 
just like a little prompting in my heart that God has such a desire, such a desire to honor you today too. He has such a desire to show his love to you. And I know that it's common for us to, to constantly, you know, talk about how we need to honor God, how we need to love Him, how we need to serve God and everything. But I love how God has showed us the most beautiful and perfect picture of honor. As I look at the story of whenever the, um, all the disciples were gathered in the upper room the night before Jesus was betrayed, the night before Jesus died, we see this, this beautiful moment where he gathers his disciples and he sits them down and, and he just begins to kneel. And he begins just to wash their feet. All these disciples who are less than, this is the Son of God. He just begins to kneel down and he, he begins to honor each one of them, to wash their feet. This is, this is the job of like the lowest servant in the household at that time. This is like the job that, that they'll make the intern do. You know, it's like, go get me some coffee. It's like, oh, this is black. I wanted cream in it. Go get me another one. Like it's, it's that job that everyone hates to do. But see the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. He didn't see himself as too great for that but he knelt down and washed each one of their feet because he wanted to honor these imperfect people. He wants to honor you today. The question is, is can I accept that? And I'm preaching to myself right now. And I hope that this is something that we can all hear because we, we are all imperfect. We don't, we don't show love. We don't, we don't show honor perfectly all the time, right? But God, he comes in and he doesn't, he doesn't even mind, you know? He came and he did everything. He gave everything. So that you could spend life with him. He, he, he gave everything so that we can partner with him and change the world for his glory. So that we can show people who God really is. That he's a God who loves us. He's a God who honors us. He's a God who gave everything. This is a gift for us. So, as we see Mordecai being a man of such honor, I ask, how, how can I be the same? How can I reflect the honor that Mordecai showed? How can I reflect the honor that Jesus gives to us constantly? How can I, how can I reflect that, that story where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, those who were so unworthy of it, but he didn't see it that way? I think that we need to show our family honor. We need to show our coworkers honor. We need to show, you know, the veterans in, in our 
in our country or the, the authorities honor. You know, with your family, maybe if you're exhausted after a long day of work, just take that extra moment. If your wife asks you or your husband asks you, you know, can you do this thing for me or, or whatever it might be, just take that extra moment, even if you're tired, out of your mind, you know, just take it and say, yeah, I can do that for you. Honor her, her honor him. Your coworkers, if your boss, you know, if he tells you to do something that you can't stand to do, just do it. If, if your coworkers are talking badly about your boss or if you're talking badly about those who are in leadership over you, shut it down. Just flip the script and say, you know, I think that he's great at this. You know, I think that he does a really good job of leading. Whatever it is, you know, just begin to encourage. With our country right now, there's so many things that are happening. There's so much division. And I don't know where you stand. I don't know what your, your political views are at all. But it doesn't really matter. Our job is to honor those who are in authority over us. Our job is to, to honor our president. Our job is to honor those who are, who are in, in politics over us, those who have been assigned, those who are voted in, you know, even if you didn't vote for them. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do, I know. But, but when people are speaking badly about those in authority over us, do your best to find the things that are the positives, right? Do the thing, try, try to, maybe, maybe you have to do a lot of research. I don't know. But even still, just figure out ways where you can honor them. Speak life over those people. If you have a neighbor, someone that you can't stand, just begin to show them love. You know, maybe just bake a couple cookies. Nestle Toll House cookies, all you got to do is pop them in. Ten minutes later, they're good to go, and they're fantastic. Just tell them that was your grandma's recipe or something. But whatever it is, you know, just show honor to everyone around you. And I think that if we do this, when we're, when we're active in honoring others, when we're active in showing others care, when we're showing them love just the way Jesus does for us, literally constantly, when we do that, I think that God will begin to bless it. You will see his favor in your life so abundantly. I think that one of the things that I like to do is just to do my best to, to find what someone is doing right so easy to, to nitpick at things. It's so easy to to find the things that we're doing wrong, to, to see that people aren't doing whatever it is the right way. But whenever we think and look and, and figure out how they're doing things right or properly, I think that that's when it begins to be a lot easier. So I challenge you with that today. In everything you do, just like Mordecai did, just like just like Jesus did with his disciples just like he does with you constantly, just like he does with you every day. Honor people. See the best in them. And I think that when we do that, that's such a beautiful way to show God's love to the world around us in a place that is so chaotic, a place that is so crazy. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.